Growing up, uh, it was always such a treat whenever my parents would take my sisters and I to a restaurant. And our, uh, one of our favorite places was the Golden Arches uh, as a kid. And, and man, was it ever cool? Actually, I thought it was like the best thing when one of my sisters started working there. Like I told all my friends, I was like, my sister works at McDonald's. You know, it was such a point of pride for me. <laughs> uh, now, coming from an immigrant household, going out to eat was something that we just didn't do that often. So when we actually did go to a restaurant, it was a treat. And that's what we called McDonald's. We called McDonald's a restaurant. Uh, We didn't call it fast food. We called it a restaurant. And sometimes it'd be, uh, you know, on on Sunday, sometimes there was a, we would have a long day at church. I'd have Korean school there. And my parents would have choir practice before the service. And after the service, we'd eat lunch there. And then they'd do choir practice after. And church means, it was always, growing up, church was always like a seven to eight hour thing on Sundays. So coming home in the afternoon, they would sometimes stop and we'd get maybe a Sunday. and I always was tickled. I was like, oh, getting a Sunday on Sundays because even that was a treat. It was really a rare occasion. Sometimes, you know, most often it would just be soft serve, right? Uh, but on those days, sometimes we would get that wonderful Big Mac. Now, how many of you have never eaten a Big Mac before? Okay, surprising, right? I mean, it's surprising when you th- they actually surveyed a ton of people and they were like, hey, if you were born, I don't know what the year was, but, but if you're kind of like under 25, there's a high likelihood that you've never eaten a Big Mac. Uh, so, you know, you think about that, but honestly, Big Macs, I think as a kid was one of the best. And when I go to McDonald's, that's usually what I get. Now, here's the thing. Growing up, I didn't think burgers could taste any better. Like, literally, I was like, the Big Mac, like, that is a burger. Like, my parents never grilled burgers. We always ate rice and noodles and just, you know, Asian food, Korean food. And they never made burgers. My mom never made her own patties. We never went to a Super Bowl party where, you know, you had sliders. Like, that's just, that wasn't life for me. So when I grew up and realized that there were, like, restaurants that served burgers, like, not fast food restaurants, not fast casual, but actual sit-down restaurants where it was like burgers were their thing, like Burger Republic, right? Or like pharmacy or, or restaurants like that. I was like, my mind was blown, right? I was like, this is amazing, right? <laughs> now, here's the thing. I know it sounds comical, but I didn't know what I didn't know. I just didn't know. Until I experienced and tasted something better, I literally thought that the Big Mac was the pinnacle of a burger, And boy, was I ever wrong. And now what I thought was good, here's the thing, what I thought was good has actually lost its taste. What I thought was blessed is actually junk. (laughs) Does anyone here know what I'm talking about? Right, you know that feeling? Remember that feeling when you thought your life was over when your ex broke up with you? But later on, when you met your spouse, you realized how low your expectations were? (laughs) Or how about work, right? After being devastated that you lost your job that was so meaningful to you, God completely surprised you with something way better. Or how about that book you read or that TV show you finished? You were so engaged with it season after season after season, right? Parenthood, anyone? And then all of a sudden, this is us comes, right? And you're like, well, parent what? Right? And you're just like, how? And then, and then obviously there's going to come a day where, where that ends. And, you know, we, we go in cycles like this, don't we? 
right? You don't think you'd be able to find something better. You think that's all that there is until what comes next. Now, this often happens in life, doesn't it? We live according to what we see. We don't know what we don't know. But when we know, it's like our eyes are opened and we can see clearly. It's like everything comes into perspective. It's, it's kind of like getting your eyes checked and realizing that you need glasses. You thought everything was normal, right? You thought it was normal that you couldn't see that far away. You thought it was normal that you couldn't see and read those words. You thought that's what it was like for everyone. And then you get glasses and you're like, oh, wait, I've been living like this. Like, this is what everyone else sees? Well, in today's passage, Jesus is going to take us to school for a readjustment. He's going to be taking us to the eye doctor. Jesus is going to give us prescription lenses because our focus and our priorities are off. Instead of looking to Jesus and, as, and his kingdom as our true north, many of us have been taking our cues from the world and then subsequently baptizing them in our cultural version of Christianity. Saying that, well, that's, 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 you know, Jesus doesn't heal today. Jesus doesn't move today. I mean, Jesus only moves when you're a teenager. Jesus only saves people when you're a kid. I mean, not as an adult. Let's look at Luke chapter 6. Um, when we look at Luke chapter 6, starting from verse 20, we're going to see... Uh, in, in the next six verses here, just how blurry our vision might be. So let's take a look at this. Luke chapter 6, starting from verse 20. Then looking up at his disciples, he said, so looking up at his disciples, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, because the kingdom of God is yours. Blessed are you who are now hungry, because you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, because you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Take note, your reward is great in heaven, for this is the way their ancestors used, uh, used to treat the prophets. Okay, so just take a look. Consider what we just read right there, right? Verse 20 to 23. And now let's look at verse 24 to 26. And I want you to compare what you agree with more or what, you're, what you, in a sense, uh, resonated more with. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your comfort. Woe to you who are now full, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are now laughing, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the false prophets. Did you notice a pattern as we read? Right now, take a look at this. If you have your app uh, or if you have your Bible, and if, and if you've been looking at the screen, that's fine. But if you do have your Bible on your phone or your app, you're going to want to take that out, uh, especially today because there's going to be some comparison kind of going back and forth that we're going to look. Right. So if you have that open, look at verse 20 and 24. Okay. And then, so take a look at the similar language, poor, rich. Now take a look at verse 21 and 25. See if you can notice the similar words here used and look at verse 22 and 26, right? These are paired together. 
And what we're going to do today is we're going to dig in and we're going to unpack each pair uh, during the rest of the message. So let's start with, with verse 20 and 24. Okay, verse 20, then looking up at his disciples, he said, blessed are you who poor or are poor. Okay, so remember that. Blessed are you who are poor because the kingdom of God is yours compared to verse 24. Woe to you who are rich for you have received your comfort. Blessed are you who are poor because the kingdom of God is yours. Now woe to you who are rich for you have received your comfort. What is Jesus trying to say here in verse 20 and 24? I thought wealth was a sign of God's blessing. I mean, isn't it? I mean, I thought if you believe in God, the result is riches, wealth, comfort, a private jet, and unlimited vacations. Isn't that what Jesus talks about here? That believe in me and all your problems will go away. And all you're going to have is, is you know, abundant wealth and abundant riches. Okay, if you say it like that, obviously not, right? I mean, kind of chuckle. You're like, oh, Daniel, you're just being, you know, you're just being funny there. Obviously not. But the truth of the matter is we actually kind of believe that. Just, I mean, a little bit. Not to say that, oh, believe in Jesus and you'll get your private jet. No, but we actually kind of believe it. We believe that if we love God, do good, serve others, and are faithful in the little, that the, that the riches, that there should be riches, Right? Don't, don't you believe that? Kind of, maybe just a little bit, that God would bless you. And blessing means also financial blessings if you follow after him. I mean, is that biblical? Obviously, we, we say, no, to get a private jet if you believe in Jesus is not biblical. We would all agree with that. But is the minimal, kind of the mini version of that, is that biblical? Or is that just some sort of American watered-down version of health, wealth, prosperity, Christianity. Let's take a look at uh, Deuteronomy 28. Now, we don't have it on the screens here, uh, but because Deuteronomy 28 is a lot of work, and I, I didn't want to <laughs> ask anyone to, you know, list 20, no, what is it, 68 verses. Uh, and we're not going to be reading all 68 verses, but I want you to just look at Deuteronomy 28, and I want you to see the two sections that are here. Okay, uh, the headers are great here. Verse uh, Deuteronomy 28, we see this header that says, blessings for obedience in my Bible. And in verse 15, uh, there's a header that says, curses for disobedience. Let's just take a quick look here, okay? Deuteronomy 28 uh, is what it says. Now, if you faithfully obey the Lord your God, okay, if we follow him, if we faithfully obey him, okay, and, and if you're careful to follow all his commands that I'm giving you today, Okay, so know God's commands, follow him. Then the Lord your God will put you far above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come and overtake you because you will obey the Lord your God. Just, Just consider what it says here. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. Your offspring will be blessed in your land's produce and the offspring of your livestock, including the young of your herds and the newborn of your flocks. Your basket and kneading bowl will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you are. I don't know about you, but that sounds like material blessing, doesn't it? It sounds like that, right? So it says, hey, if you faithfully obey the Lord your God and follow all his commands, look at how you will be blessed. Fair. Now look at verse 15. But if you do not obey the Lord your God by carefully following all his commands and statutes I'm giving you today, all these curses will come and overtake you. 
It's the opposite, right? You'll be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and kneading bowl will be cursed. Your offspring will be cursed in your lands. Produce, the young of your herds and the newborn of your flocks, you'll be cursed when you come in and cursed when you go out. So I don't know about you. When I read this, it sounds like if you are poor, you are not prob- you're probably not following God and you're not living according to his commands, right? Isn't that what it seems like? And if you're wealthy, then it means you are following God kind of see where this health, wealth, prosperity theology gets its rooting and gets its grounding. Now, consider this. When Jesus said what he said, right, because he said something very different than what it said in Deuteronomy 28, right, very different. When he said what he said, everyone he was saying it to knew Deuteronomy 28. In fact, most probably studied the, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy as a kid. And Deuteronomy especially, right? So most of them knew this. This was what everyone understood. So when they, I mean, you can look at it when Jesus goes and, and, and you know, there's that cripple. Remember that cripple in the temple that Jesus heals? And then the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders are like, how did you get healed? You were born crippled. You were born in sin, Because anyone who did not have health and wealth and prosperity, that was some sin of their own or their parents or it was generational. I mean, that's, it was disobedience at some point. So that is the MO, that is the status quo, that is what everyone thought when Jesus said what he said. But friends, Jesus is ushering in a new covenant and a new kingdom. That's what he's saying here. That's what he's doing here. When John the Baptist came, right, Jesus said, hey, he is actually both the greatest and he is the least. He's the greatest because he's the last of the prophets, but he's the least because now the old has gone and the new has come. With Jesus, the old is gone and the new has come. Now, I'm not saying ignore the Old Testament. That's not what I'm saying here. But we need to read the Old Testament through the lens of the new. We need to read the Old Testament through the lens of, hey, the old is gone and the new has come. What is Jesus, what has Jesus upended? And what Jesus is upending right now in Luke chapter 6, verse 20 to 26, is that old paradigm where riches were thought to be an indicator of God's blessing. That's what he's upending. In fact, friends, Jesus talks a lot about money in, you know, in, in his ministry. He talks a lot about it. And for many, what we see not only here, but what we see in our day in and day out is that for many, riches are often an obstacle to faith, aren't they? Do you know any friends who might be like that? And why are riches an obstacle to faith in the Lord? Because with riches comes power, privilege, arrogance, and ultimately self-sufficiency. Right With riches, it's I don't need anyone else is what ensues when you see the riches as being fully your own. Now, if you're poor, on the flip side, you have a clear picture of who you are in relation to God. 
right? You know you are not self-sufficient because you are poor and you need assistance. You know that. So as a result, when you are poor, you are more aware of your need and your dependence on them. Now, I remember when Christina and I lived in Korea, uh, I actually, we were flipping through some pictures this past week. And I remember taking a picture at the grocery store of a cantaloupe. Now, when's the last time someone's taken a picture of a cantaloupe here? I mean, cantaloupe is like the fruit that no one likes, right? I mean, especially at hotels. I'm sorry if you like cantaloupe. Uh, but, you know, especially at hotels, right? I mean, they put cantaloupe there. and I always like push it aside, get the pineapples. All right? And I'm like, oh, this cantaloupe. Because sometimes cantaloupe is really good and sometimes it's horrible, which is why I think it's just so inconsistent, right? Which is why. Now, I have never taken a picture of a cantaloupe in North America, right? And I've lived most of my life here. But in Korea, I took a picture of a cantaloupe. You know why? Because it was all wrapped up in saran wrap. It was displayed not in like just here's the cantaloupe, right, on a pallet. It was like displayed on a stand. It was all wrapped up. And you know how much one cantaloupe was? $20. $20. Okay? Fruit is expensive in Korea. <laughs> so here's the thing. Fruit was expensive in Korea. Cantaloupe, that cantaloupe, $20. Right? You think avocados are expensive when they're a dollar a piece, right? I mean, that's like nothing, right? Now, here's the thing. My wife and I, we, were, we scraped buying Korea. We knew we had little, and we had so much dependence on the Lord for our daily bread because we were just trying to get by. But one day when we came back to our apartment, there was this big box of apples at our door. To this day, we have no idea who gave us that box of apples. Now, you're like, box of apples. Like, apples the cheap fruit, you know? I was like, that's the thing where you just kind of feed your kids to keep them full. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, but we got a box of apples. And in that moment, in our poverty, in our dependence, in our need of the Lord that we knew and we recognized, that was such a blessing to the Lord. From the Lord. Now, to be clear, there are many who sincerely love God. There are many who sincerely serve him and, and are also experiencing the riches of God's blessing, right? Right? I'm not saying, and Jesus isn't saying here, if you're rich, you can't, you know, enter the kingdom of God. That's not what he's saying here. He's not saying that you have to be poor to be loved by the Lord. That is not what he's saying here. But what we need to understand here is there's a tension, right? There's a tension that there are many who are rich, and are sincerely, they sincerely love the Lord and they're sincerely experiencing God's blessing. In fact, if you live in North America and are eating three square meals a day, a day with a roof over your, over your house, uh, over your head, there you are actually rich. But that's not who Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is specifically in these verses talking about those uh, who, who, who have become so dependent and so reliant upon their riches that it actually takes up and consumes their reality, their identity, and their everything. That is who Jesus is talking about. And you know if that is you, right? You know if that's you, right? I have a friend, I have a couple friends who have bought Bitcoin, right? And if you know last year, 
It's, I, don't, I don't really follow it, uh, but if you know last year, I heard a lot from them because it was up and down and up and down and up and down. And I know one of my friends, he ended up selling all of it because it was consuming his every thought, his every being. Every, you know, he woke up all the way to the time he went down. It was consuming his everything. And, and then I know others who it doesn't. Right? You know if wealth and money and the acquiring of things is a sin and an idol for you. You know that because it's the measure of how much you place your identity and how much it consumes your reality and your everything. Who Jesus is talking about here are those who find comfort in their riches rather than in the Lord. For people like them, it's almost worth it to pray that God would bankrupt them and bring them to poverty for the sake of their souls. So those who Jesus is referencing, right, he says, uh, he says to those people, woe to you who are rich, for you have received your comfort, right? So that's who Jesus is talking about there. But in verse 20, who is Jesus talking about when he says, blessed are you who are poor? Now in Matthew, you might recognize Matthew also has a sermon on the Mount. Matthew, in the book of Matthew, there's also the Beatitudes. And you might notice that there's a word that Matthew uses that Luke doesn't, right? In Matthew's version, Matthew 5, uh, he says, blessed are you uh, who are, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? It says poor in spirit. When you put both versions together, uh, basically what Jesus is saying here is that just like the poor tangibly and immediately feel a, uh, a need for food when their st- stomach grumbles, right? And a, and a shelter, a need for shelter when the weather is harsh, those who feel that same kind of need for God are the blessed ones. That's what Jesus is saying here. So my question to you is, is God an afterthought? Is God someone that you only think about on Sundays? Or is God only someone that you consider and that comes to mind when you're going through hardship? Is God an afterthought for you or do you feel him and do you need him just like you feel the need for food when your stomach grumbles? When you feel lonely, who do you turn to? When you feel empty, Who do you turn to? When you feel full, who do you give thanks to? Let's look at verse 21 and 25, just the first parts of both next. Verse 21 says, blessed are you who are now hungry because you will be filled. And let's go to verse 25. Woe to you who are now full for you will be hungry. Now in Matthew's version, we see that the word righteousness is added. So it's not just blessed are you who are now hungry. It's blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness is a key indicator here. So, so what we see here in this passage is that Matthew reveals that this hunger Jesus is speaking of to us here isn't for lack of food, but it's a hunger for a lack of righteousness. Do you know what that feels like? Do you know what it feels like to hunger for righteousness? Do you know what it feels like uh, to have a rich and insatiable hunger for God's acceptance? Look at Psalm 42 and see if you know what, what, what the psalmist is talking about here. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. 
I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While all day long, while all day long people say to me, where is your God? I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I walked with many leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. Do you, are these just words to you? Is this, is this just a poem to you? Or when you read this, can you remember a time where you came before him and thirsted for him? Can you came, do you remember a time where you came before the Lord and had such dependence on him? How many of you remember that song, As the Deer? Yeah, I mean, I wish we sang that still today. I know it's like super old now. And it's one of it's like kind of it's older than shout to the Lord, right? <laughs> but I remember days and moments, not every day, right? But days and moments where that song was what kept me going. Where these verses are what kept me going. Psalm 63 is the same way. Psalm 63, verse 1: God, you are my God, I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you, my body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. Do you know what a deep, rich, and insatiable desire for God's acceptance and his presence feels like? In this passage, Jesus is saying that the spiritually hungry are the ones that are filled. In other translations, the word satisfied is used. So it's this idea of being so filled, right, that you can't eat anymore. I'm not, I'm not talking about, you know, when you're on road trips and you just snack all day and you eat fast food and you're just trying to keep yourself awake. Like that's a day, road trips are those days where we go to Aldi and just buy all the junk food. Right, especially those, those uh, white chocolate covered pretzels and just any kind of junk food because that's how I stay awake. Right, I'll have my coffee, but as long as I'm munching, I can stay awake on those long road trips. But you know that feeling after those long road trips where it's dinner and you know you, know you should probably eat something, but you're not really hungry? Right, you're full, but you, you eat and, and you're, just, you're just not satisfied. Your stomach is full, you ate the calories, but you're just not satisfied. It's, it's, compare that to how you feel on Thanksgiving after dinner. You've been nibbling all day, but after dinner, after all that food, you're like, yes, I am satisfied. Jesus promises that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness in this way will be filled to a point that they cannot eat anymore. Not because they're sick, but because they're so satisfied by him. Jesus says that when we approach him, the righteous are those who will no longer be in want because the Lord is the one that has filled them. They, they have passed on McDonald's and they went to Burger Republic. Right? They have in Psalm 34, 8, you know, it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. They have waited and they have tasted the Lord and that they have found satisfaction. Psalm 34, 10 says, those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. 
Tasting and seeing is all about experience. And once we do, once we experience the riches of God's blessings and the riches of his presence, we'll never again hunger again. Right? That's what Jesus was talking about to that Samaritan woman by the well. So when you look at verse 21, the latter half says this, blessed are you who weep now because you will laugh. And then verse 25, the latter says, woe to you who are now laughing for you will mourn and weep. Right? You have a direct contrast here between weeping and laughing. Jesus is referencing those that come to him, recognizing their broken, their, their broken and bankrupt state in righteousness. They are what, these people who Jesus are referencing, they are what Psalm 34, 18 calls the brokenhearted and crushed in spirit. They're the ones who, uh, you know, that, that, that they are devastated when their sin hurts God. And that's one of the things that I'm trying to help my kids understand. Not only when they hurt and they sin against one another and they sin against us, but ultimately when they sin against the Lord, what I'm trying most of all imperfectly to do is to cultivate in them this, this sense of brokenness that, hey, they have not just only hurt our hearts, but they have broken God's heart. Because I'm not always, always going to be around, right? We're not always going to be there to be able to reprimand them. What does it look like to be so brokenhearted and crushed in spirit when we find our fill from the things of this world? What does that look like? Not because someone, your, your, your student pastor or Scott or Justin or myself or anyone else said something. Not because anyone guilted or shamed you, but because you have so connected with the Lord that you've experienced, that you've tasted satisfaction in him, that when you try to satisfy yourself in any other way, there's just this emptiness. The good news of this passage is the fact that it says that the Lord is near to those who are brokenhearted. Right? It says that the Lord saves those who are crushed in spirit. In other words, to those who mourn over their sin, that don't just say, oh, you know, God, forgive me for my sins. Or on Sunday when we sing a song that is about repentance, oh, yes, God, forgive me for that. To those that mourn over they, their sin, this is what Jesus promises. Jesus promises joy, unending joy, laughter, that you will leap over that more than anything else, that you will leap over and experience that deep inner joy, that last, that contentment. In direct contrast, Jesus says, hey, uh, for those of you who laugh now, for those of you who take pleasure in the world, for those of you who take pleasure in the pursuit of temporal and present riches, yeah, you might laugh now. You might feel happy for a fleeting moment, but you will weep when you realize that everything that you have just lived for is going to fall away and it's going to be gone in eternity. What Jesus is saying is if your reward, if you are living for rewards for today, then your reward will be the reward for today. <laughs> That's it. No eternal reward. It'll just be whatever you earned yourself. Temporary and non-satisfying. Verse 22 says, blessed are you when people hate you, 
when they exclude you, insult you, and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. And then you look at verse 26, woe to you when all people speak well of you. For this is the way their ancestors used to treat the false prophets, right? This, I think, probably hurts and strikes home for some of us more than the other verses. Because the truth is, whether you have riches and wealth or not, most of us want to be liked, right? Most of us don't set out in life trying to see how many people have blocked us on Facebook, it's like, oh, yeah, 30 people have blocked me. Oh, 30? 100 have blocked me. I'll show you how to be blocked. Right? I mean, it's like, you know, like, we don't live that way. Because why? It's addicting to please people, isn't it? Right? It's addicting. It, it feels good to please people. Right? It feels good to be congratulated. It feels good to be seen as insightful. No one wants to be excluded. No one wants to be picked on. No one wants to be ostracized. But would you gladly accept it if you knew that it wasn't going to be for forever? Would you be okay if you knew that your temporal exclusion here meant eternal inclusion there? With God in eternity where you were forever accepted just as you are? In John 15, 18 and 19, we read, If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. That's what Jesus says. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. So if you're not excluded, what does that say? However, because you are not of the world, but I've chosen you out of it, the world hates you. If your goal is respect, you won't necessarily get it from everyone if you spend your life living out the great commandment to love God and love others. Right? We think... That if you love God and love others, everyone will love you, everyone will respect you. Or we, know, we confuse the golden rule with the great commandment. <laughs> it's not the same thing. God says, hey, love God, love others. But here's the thing, that might actually lead to exclusion because when you truly love others, the way that God calls you to love others, sometimes that means telling them truth that they, may not, they might not want to hear. So Jesus is preparing us for temporal rejection here. Jesus is preparing us for temporal slander, that when you follow him, not everyone's going to love you. Right? When you follow him, not everything's going to be perfect. If someone promised that to you and that's why you prayed the prayer to follow Christ, I'm sorry to say that's false. When you follow Jesus, he is preparing you for temporal hatred, temporal exclusion for forever inclusion. Because when you stand for the truth and you align yourself with him, some people are not going to like it. Now, preparing for this, understanding this is important because what? Because that's what we're going to experience if we care more about his approval than others. So if you're not well-liked and it's because Jesus' standard is what you strive for and you are loving God and loving others the way that he loves them and that's why you are not liked because you're living for his approval rather than man's approval, then you need to rejoice, okay? Then you need to rejoice. But here's the thing. If you're not liked and you are excluded, 
and it has nothing to do with Jesus, then you're just a jerk. <laughs> right? And that might actually just be pride and character. Uh, so that's, that's not, it's two different things. Okay, more seriously though, the first few verses here point out how the repenting sinner sees himself. Right? It points out from verse 20 to 22, uh, verse 20 to 21 really, how repenting sinners are received by the Lord when we come to the Lord in contrast to those who don't. But verse 22 indicates uh, that, other, that, that really um, that the world's hostility towards a disciple of Jesus, right, the world's hostility to you and I is actually evidence that we are blessed. That's what this is talking about. Now, here's the thing. Jesus also says the opposite is true in verse 26. To the truly well-liked, to the truly well-spoken of by the world, these, he say, are those that show no distinction from the very lost praising. They are placed, to those who are really liked by the world, they are actually placed in the camps of the false prophets. They're actually fated to that same doomed fate. In verse 23 to end, we read, rejoice in that day, right? Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Take note, your reward is great in heaven for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the prophets. My question to you today, church, uh, is this. Are you living for present joy or future joy? Living for eternity gives you present satisfaction, joy, and fullness, right? When you live for eternity. And living for eternity actually places you in the company of some of the kingdom's most esteemed, right? Just think of it. Jesus says, they also did so to the prophets. So that means when you live for the Lord, according to the Beatitudes here, you and I can be counted amongst the same company as Isaiah, as Elijah, as Samuel, Right? We can be found in the same company as Ezekiel or John the Baptist, of whom Jesus said there has never been anyone like him. When we live in the way that Jesus is calling us to here, we are esteemed in his eyes. Isn't that worth a few temporal jeers from others? To be living, pleasing the Lord. Now, here's the flip side, right? If you live for present joy you might not actually get future joy. But if you live for future joy, you will experience present joy. Let me say that again. If you live for present joy, you may not get future joy. But if you live for future joy, you will experience present joy. Not all the time. Not all the time. But enough because you're going to get glimpses of the kingdom. And when we decide to live for the eternal, when we decide to trust Jesus, we are strengthened presently from within and with supernatural power, joy, and peace through the Holy Spirit to endure those momentary exclusions from others. Without God, our world only knows now. They don't know eternity. So everything is driven for the now. And God himself, right, Jesus quantified people into two categories from these verses. Those, there are those that live for him in the future. Are you among that? And there are those that live for the stuff and status for the present. I pray that you're not here. Just consider this quote from Ace Ventura. <laughs> right, well, the man who played Ace Ventura. Right, the man who played 
you know, the, you know the, on the Truman Show, right? Consider this quote from Jim Carrey. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they've ever dreamed of so that they can see it's not the answer. Are you living for that? Because that's where it ends. Or are you living for eternity? Let's pray. Lord, we don't know what we don't know. But there are others who have followed the path that we are walking on and have reported, just like that quote, where it will end. Lord, may we not be like that foolish child that touches the hot stove just because we've never touched the hot stove. May we learn from those who have gone before us. And may we live for eternity. May we live not according to the woes, but according to the blessed, according to what you say here. God, grant us mercy. God, grant, grant us grace. Grant us strength. And may our focus be on you. And may you go before us this week in the ways in our lives where we have been living for what is temporal and for ourselves. God, I pray that you would open our eyes. God, I pray that you would open our eyes in those ways and that you would show us where to stop, where to begin, and where to live for you. So as we worship you, Lord, Speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.